Hello, it's episode nine of AHP's Off the Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Joe. And we are joined by two guests today. We are indeed. This is our second podcast for two guests, which is very exciting. Um, but we didn't think that we could talk about this particular profession without interviewing people that cover both of the main aspects of it. So today we are talking about radiography and we are with Joe McNamara and Kerry Mills. Do you guys mind introducing yourselves? Hello, so I'm Joe McNamara. I'm a senior lecturer in radiotherapy and oncology at Sheffield Town University and I've recently been appointed as the National Macmillan Radiotherapy Clinical Fellow. And do you, Kerry? Yes, sure. Hi, my name is uh, Kerry Mills. I am the clinical imaging lead in the southwest. Um, I'm on secondment with NHSEI at the moment, but I also work for Health Education England as a subject matter expert. That's so good. I don't think we quite knew before we um, <laughs> were interviewing you guys, like, how much experience you guys have? <laughs> like, we looked at your email, <laughs> looked at your email signatures today, like, oh, we oh, were like, okay. oh, okay. <laughs> these guys are pretty big time. <laughs> Don't edit that out. Definitely keep that in. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely keep that in. Um, so that makes this bit maybe even more slightly nerve wracking that I'm going to have to do the definition of what radiography is. Um, so yeah, feel free to chime in if there's anything that I've missed out. But this is um, a summary that actually we took from our appreciation post that we did when we first started our Facebook page. So um, about 14 million imaging tests are reported in England every year. And the people behind these images are radiographers. For those that don't know, radiography can be divided into two branches. So you've got diagnostic and therapeutic. Diagnostic radiographers use an expert range of techniques to produce high quality images, for example, x-rays, CT and MRI scans, which play an essential part in accurately diagnosing injury or disease. Therapeutic radiographers are responsible for the planning and delivery of accurate radiotherapy treatments using a wide range of technical equipment and play a vital role in the treatment of cancer. They manage the whole treatment pathway, providing support and technical expertise, and are the only health professionals qualified to plan and deliver radiotherapy. Radio radiographers work with patients of all ages and work closely with other health professionals. Together, both diagnostic and therapeutic radiography professionals provide essential services every year to millions of people. How does that sound? Perfect. Perfect. Yay. That's really good. Really summed it up well. I would, I would, I would say as well, actually, because um, something that I've noticed as part of working with Macmillan is we are the only AHP profession that is solely educated in oncology um, yeah. and trained within that field. So sometimes when you're working, especially within Macmillan, where you've got lots of people who specialize you kind of realize how privileged we are to actually have our whole education basically you know fundamentally all around oncology so um we are different in that in that respect and it is frustrating when we get to get confused between <laughs> diagnostic and therapeutic and although we love each other mm. we definitely like people to appreciate that we are very very different yeah. And I think that's why it was key when we were thinking about when we were going to do our first podcast with radiographers that we made sure that we had both. Because as you said, that so the, the difference between the two, I think people don't really recognise or realise that there is that distinct difference. So it's good to have have you both. Yeah, you've got to say also the diagnostic is best, but we can get around to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kerry, you just had to, there. didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we should crack on with the questions. <laughs> um, so the first thing that we would love to know is how both of you got into radiography. So shall I start, Kerry? Yeah, you go. Crack on. <laughs> so um, basically, I was really sporty at school. Um, I used to do a GB swim training. And so I thought I want to go into healthcare not good enough to continue with my swimming um and i thought do you know what um physio seems like a really likely link with that stereotypical sport and a healthcare career i'll go into physio so mm -hmm. i dedicated more or less my entire gcse's and a levels to getting the work experience doing the research you know integrating into um lots of work experience opportunities and um, 
I selected lots of universities and decided actually I'd go to Sheffield Hallam University because my now husband had been there previously and had rated it and he had lots of friends still in Sheffield. So, you know, from a logistics perspective, we thought, okay, let's go back to Sheffield. So I turned up on my first day of my new degree course uh, in physiotherapy and we had one of the first lectures where basically back in those days they would strip you off in front of your whole cohort um and I was a really really larger student so that was quite a scary an experience for me and um we were going to actually manipulate someone's shoulder just so that we can get a feel for some of the anatomy anyway probably three minutes into another student having a feel around my shoulder and I passed out and I thought oh "Oh my gosh what am I I doing like I didn't realize that a lot of the course was basically someone else touching me Um, and and so I had a bit of a a freak out and I remember walking around campus very emotional going I've just moved lock stock and barrel uh up to Sheffield I come from Henley on Thames um and my whole family know I'm dedicated to becoming a physio and now I realise that I am never cut out to be a physio because I don't like people touching me. <laughs> so so um, luckily for me, and honestly, when you kind of talk about fate, I have to say it is pretty spectacular. But Professor, Professor Angela Duxbury was walking around campus and she found this baby first year who was very <laughs> emotional and said well, don't worry, dear. Why don't you consider a future as a therapeutic radiographer? I was like, I don't even know what one of those is. Um, And so she said, well, why don't you go home, speak to your family, and I'll help you arrange a work experience day. And then if you do like it, you can come for an interview. So, you know, this was all all a bit sudden. And I thought, okay. So I spoke to my my, uh, my family and said right okay I'm going to come home and I'm going to do some work experience didn't really divulge what had happened at uni but just said I'm just going on some work experience (laughs) and um I'm not joking about 15 minutes in the department I was like oh my gosh this is amazing um you know they they took me into one of the treatment rooms I saw this huge piece of equipment that I was like wow that looks impressive um, I witnessed a radiographer comforting one of the patients and just the empathy that they were able to kind of display to that patient. I thought, I, I really want to do that. I really want to make a difference. But I had never, ever, ever heard of a therapeutic radiographer and I'd never even heard of radiotherapy. I'd never had anyone in my family who'd had cancer at that point. And actually, from that perspective, I was like, how have I missed this? I've been through so many careers fairs. Like, I'd properly dedicated a lot of time to making sure I knew about physio and the other allied health professions to make sure that I was making the right decision. Um, So actually, from that perspective, uh, perspective, it was very much a case of I can't believe that I've managed to fall on my feet and found this profession. Otherwise, I could have been the worst physio known to man. I did actually once faint. I did once faint in a clinic uh, because I did try. I I went into a clinic and I collapsed, um, and they had to get the patient off the bed so that I could be put on the bed. So yeah, definitely not destined to be a physio. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to be honest. I think I mentioned this in one of our other podcasts. I I fainted on placement as a student on on my one of my physio placements. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, was that because you were being touched though no <laughs> see it was the whole issue of every time someone even now I broke my little finger probably about what was it now well well before covid uh, it seems like a different life and then um, a physio one of my colleagues at the university did some physio on my little finger and I passed out honestly I just can't I can't cope with anyone touching me wow <laughs> <laughs> Clary, have you got a story to uh, to better that one? Uh, well, mine is completely opposite in the fact that Joe obviously did quite a lot of prep. I did nothing. Um, I didn't really want to go to university. It was my parents that wanted me to go, and I didn't have a clear idea at all of the direction I wanted to go in. I knew I had the ability. I knew I'd get good A-level results, but nothing. I was more interested in going out and having a good time as you are when you're 18. Um, and so... I, we had to fill in our UCAS forms and um, 
I ended up going to a with my best friend at the time. She really wanted to be a physio and she was going down for an afternoon out with her parents to the local healthcare school at a university. And I thought, oh, I've got nothing better to do. I might as well go along. So again, I was sat with her in the physio talk, listening to them and bored. No offence, physios are lovely. I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, so I went and wandered out into the corridor and got collared by this lady who assumed that I was there to come and listen to something and she into this room um, in this very old hospital building. Um, I happened to be a radiography talk. And um, so I sat down and I listened to it and I wasn't immediately struck by it. I just thought, oh, this is okay. I might as well put this down. I've got nothing better to do. So I ended up putting radiography down as my, on my UCAS form. And I got invited to quite a few interviews. And I have to say, I rocked up to those interviews. I did no prep. I hadn't done any work experience. I didn't really understand really what the job was about. I got an unconditional offers from all my interviews, probably because I wasn't nervous. I obviously performed well at interview. I got unconditional offers. And I ended up going. And um, probably, yeah, even when I started radiography, it wasn't until my first day of placement probably about uh, probably about eight weeks in till I realized that that was actually I, I was going to love it um, and yeah my first day of placement was um, it was actually my 19th birthday um, and I we didn't have like the um, years ago we're talking a long a lot of years ago now you didn't have all the lovely inductions <laughs> that you have now or the practice education or anything you would just just rock in and you just get going and you just get on with it and that was great because that suits my kind of, my, my sort of personality. And my first day was in A&E and probably within a few hours of being there, um, I witnessed something quite tragic in a recess department um, that involved a young mm. child dying. And, uh, you know, as a young 19 year old, I'd never seen anyone die before. It was really quite shocking. Um, but what, and I went away after watching that and crying my eyes out. Um, and I remember phoning my mum and saying, she was like, oh, do you want to come home? You don't have to do this. And say, actually, no, mum, this is, I saw the team working on this little boy. I watched them say, you know, try and save his life for a long, long time. And actually, that's what I want to do. I want to be part of that team. So, you know, watching how radiographers got in there and did their part, that for me cemented it. And I've loved it ever since and never looked back. So it was a complete, I fell into it. Um, a bit like Joe, it wasn't the the, the journey that we were planning, but actually I wouldn't do anything else now. So yeah, a little bit different from Joe's story. <laughs> no planning involved whatsoever. <laughs> no, but I think that's the great part of it. I think as we've done and interviewed uh, different AHPs, I think there's been very few times that people have just been like, no, I, I knew that this was the this was what I was going to do. And then that's what I became. Like it, it very rarely has been that. It's always kind of been a personal experience or just like a, a matter of like fate. Or I think, as you said, and I think we might have mentioned it in a different um, podcast too. When you do all your like, um, when you're a student and you go and look at different careers, especially healthcare careers, a, a lot of our AHP professions don't necessarily get brought into the forefront. Like you don't yeah. really, you don't hear about it enough. And if you don't, have someone who's around to tell you about these things and how are you going to stum stumble into these professions without these we often find it's one of the... sorry we often find now that students either are there because they've fallen into it by accident that one of their parents is a radiographer or they've been a patient and have had quite a few radiography experiences or interactions with radiographers they tend to be the three main reasons that people come into radiography we very rarely get someone saying i've always wanted to be a radiographer yeah and I would I would go so far as to say exactly the same but we even have that as an issue so obviously um older people get cancer stereotypically and so you know from my experience at 18 I didn't have anyone in my family who'd had cancer and so actually I'd never heard of radiotherapy and I'd never heard of a therapeutic radiographer and I know from experience of working quite a long time in recruitment that actually we see that a lot a lot of people apply to do paramedic uh, physiotherapy and diagnostic radiography because more people have access to those services um, and they then get to kind of share their their kind of experience of working with those healthcare professionals and then someone goes oh why don't you be a physio or why don't you be a nurse 
Whereas it's not necessarily the case when you get much older people who maybe go through the cancer pathway. Um, and we do notice a huge difference um, in the number of applications we get for therapeutic radiography across the country versus diagnostic radiography. And that mm-hmm. that is that's quite saddening for me because I think that equally they are both amazing professions. Um, so that's obviously why we do lots of podcasts and recruitment activity and things like that um, so that we do get the recognition. But it is so important that the general public know about these professions. And, 100%. You know, when, yeah, when we see those adverts about nursing on the TV, I hear every <laughs> AHP in the country going, why have we not got an advert about us? Um, and I've mentioned it to Suzanne Rustrick before where I'm like, we need to advertise and get it on yeah. all those sporting events where you get those nursing adverts. We need the AHP version of that so people know what it is we do um, because it is so important that people realise earlier rather than later. We don't, you know, it's so frustrating for people when they do a first degree in biology or chemistry and then they realise that actually they do want to help people in a healthcare career and then they do more research. And they've almost wasted those three years, Um, not necessarily because they've got lots of life experience and have lots of knowledge that they can bring into the role. But um, speaking to students who've gone down that route, they're like, I wish I'd known about this when I was 18 rather than doing a first degree yeah yeah so true so true is there any um crossover between the two courses or are they completely separate universities like are there any any lectures together between diagnostic and therapeutic or is it all fully separate so when we look at the diagnostic curriculum uh, it would typically consist of some physics-based modules that you would expect from any radiography degree as well as learning about the different kinds of technology and equipment that we commonly as radiographers utilise during the working day. We've got many different forms of those imaging or modalities as we call them, things like CT, MRI, ultrasound, nuclear medicine, mammography and plain film imaging, for example. So as operators of that technology, we the radiographers really need to understand how they work and also how best to use them to produce those optimal images of that patient. More and more degree courses, though, are including aspects such as leadership and research in their curriculum, which is a really, really great thing to see happening and flourishing as radiographers are really starting to make shapes in these sort of areas nowadays. For me, including those things such as the leadership and research and even education are essential components for any radiography course. Um, And we need those sort of skills and attributes to be embedded right from the beginning of a student radiographer's career right the way through until they retire. So student radiographers really can expect to rotate through multiple modalities and areas during their training training, and that they're frequently accessed by radiographers and they come into contact with so many different patient types. Diagnostic radiography itself will sit within multiple patient pathways from diagnosis to treatment and beyond. And therefore, it really is vital that as healthcare professionals, we've got that enhanced skill set to enable us to provide the very best care for our patients. What do you think, Jo? Yeah, no, I totally agree. So uh, specifically at Sheffield Hallam, we do a lot of integrated teaching So throughout the full three years of the undergraduate programme, you would learn alongside all other health and social care professionals. Mm -hmm. So actually, from that perspective, things like um, communication skills, professionalism, um, looking at um, equality, diversity, you know, those core things that we want from any health and social care practitioner, we typically would teach all together. But then, to be honest, in terms of diagnostic and therapeutic radiography, it is so very different, you know, from day one, you know, one of the first lectures we teach is what is cancer. And although a diagnostic radiographer might learn about oncology and be able to look at kind of the whole histopathology of it and look at it in tandem with image interpretation, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily learn it in the teach it in the same way and also obviously learn it um in as much detail. So I would go so far as to say that having the same title as radiographer can actually be detrimental because people Mm. do associate both professions um, when actually, you know, it is so very different right from day dot, really. And yes, you know, it's fantastic when we do get to have any lectures together, but those are usually extracurricular. So they're Mm. things that 
that would apply to either profession or any profession. So there might be some research in radiography that applies to both. Um, but typically all of our teaching is done separately. And I'm sure there are some universities that might do, say, basic anatomy together. But I can certainly say that by the time you get to year three, they are very different, distinct professions. And we fight for it, actually, at Sheffield Town. I don't know about Kerry, but we have had it before where you've had kind of people higher up in the university who've said, oh, you're just radiography. Let's let's kind of put you together. And as a teaching team, we are like, no, 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 no. Would you put physio and nursing together or would you put um, <laughs> occupational therapists and dietitians together? You mm. wouldn't because they are yeah. separate professions. And it's so frustrating when we get kind of clumped together, mm. not because we haven't got professional respect because we absolutely do. But you can't you can't um, you can't say that we do the same thing because we don't. The, the big the big similarity is we work with radiation. And yeah. that's what puts us in that category. Again, it's that lack of understanding job for us and the two branches of it. And going back just a little bit, I think we're really poor advocates sometimes of our own professions. We don't shout it out enough. Yeah, we get the odd loud voices shouting out, but actually all AHPs should be, you know, really promote their own professions. We should be going out into the schools, all of us as professionals, to, to mm. educate and to, to the, certainly the younger years, right from the beginning so that they understand exactly what we do and that the NHS is not just nurses and doctors and that there's a whole branch of really, you know, professional healthcare people that, you know, aid all of their journeys, every single patient's journey. They come into contact with an AHP just the same as they would do with the doctor and the nurse, but we're not given that same, I suppose, notoriety. We don't have that, that reach really. I definitely say that has been that has been really obvious during COVID. Mm. Yeah, you know when Boris does his big national press conferences and talks about the health service and references doctors and nurses, and it's yeah. just it's so frustrating. It's only when you had the chiefs within the medical professions that they said, and all of the healthcare professionals, but in terms of those government officials. It's so frustrating when they just class the NHS as nurses and doctors. And don't get me wrong, I have huge respect yeah. for the medical mm -hmm. team and for the nursing team. But the NHS is so much more than that. And that, that can be quite frustrating sometimes. I think that's basically the crux of how this all started for Joe and I anyway, in terms of how our Facebook page started and how this podcast came about was from having very obviously during the COVID period, um, noticed how little um, notoriety and how little coverage we were getting in terms of what we were doing. Um, everybody was doing on, on the front line. And um, yeah, I think with our, our hope is that hopefully with our podcast and with um, the promo that we do, it's more just trying to get the word, the word out there. Also to other AHP professions, because I think Joe and I have learned so much over this last year, just talking to all the different professions. Like we didn't necessarily even know that with radiography, there was two different branches. Like if we didn't know that as healthcare professions, how can we also expect others or students to know that as well? So it, it yeah. promotion promotion's key in terms of getting, getting that out there as much as possible. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think I've definitely noticed that as part of my role now with Macmillan is there are occasions where I see job adverts specifically for nurses. And I think actually, you know, that job could be done by a therapeutic radiographer or another specialist AHP who's um, specialised in oncology. Um, and it is when you look at some of the NHS trust directorate boards, you know, it is about nurses and doctors. So you can see how that actually comes about. And even educating HR teams, I think, you know, when you're working in a trust, it's so important that we do have those interdisciplinary conversations to kind of highlight what each of our professions is about. But even with the administrative staff, because how amazing would it be if a HR consultant read a job description and said, can I just clarify, is this definitely just open yeah. for nurses rather than X, Y and Z? Because I think that would have a huge impact as well on how AHPs can maybe utilise their skills within other areas of the I NHS. I think that is happening, though, in definitely. some ways. In, in terms of advanced practice, 
with the and the I suppose the apprenticeships that are coming in actually with that being about a level of practice it's not about a role or a background profession so as, as part of my uh, previous role in, in academia I was a program lead for an MSc in advanced clinical practice and I used to look after AHPs and nurses as well um, and midwives and actually what we saw was quite a lot of crossover in terms of levels of advanced practice it didn't I had in one hospital I had a physio and a nurse working exactly the same role they just had different background professions and I think that's really important to acknowledge that they can both work to a specific level they can both undertake a job but what they do is they bring to bring to that role their own specific um, take on it they bring all that background knowledge that they've learned within their background profession and they apply it in a different way and when you're working at advanced practice when you're working any practice actually it's about working as part of a team and I think when you have a multidisciplinary mm -hmm. team, that is the thing that enhances patient care. That in, is the thing that improves patient outcomes because we all bring something different to the table and acknowledging that exactly. and actually having access to other people's knowledge base and background thinking really does help a lot. So um, I think I really hope to think that that is something that's going to improve over the years. And actually, I think both of you have kind of touched on it. But Kerry, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your current job role is at the moment? So, yeah, I, I've got a bit of a, uh, a dolly mixture bag of jobs at the moment. Um, so I have been a clinical radiographer for a long time. I was an advanced practice radiographer working in emergency care. So I actually almost stepped out to the side of radiography um, and I used to see and treat my own patients, um, right, usually around uh, MSK, uh, minor injuries. Um, so as an advanced practice radiographer, and then I went into academia, um, and I worked for about five years in academia, and I'm on a six months of comment at the moment as the Southwest Clinical Imaging Lead, and I'm also um, working on a workforce transformation plan with Health Education England, um, the national workforce plan. So I've got a really a great role at the moment, um, and I like the fact that I've stepped into um, a more of a strategic position in the Actually, you know, I've had an amazing clinical career, really enjoyed it. But actually, what I can do now is to pave the way for the next generation of radiographers. So I can look at actually how mm -hmm. do we improve the opportunities for the radiographers? How can we um, make sure radiographers are in a position to improve patient care, um, in streamline patient pathways? So I like where I am at the moment and I'm you know, hoping to stay in it for a little bit anyway. Amazing. And how about you, Jay? So um, I started off, obviously, clinically as a therapeutic radiographer. And um, with therapeutic radiography, it's a slightly different, really, in the sense that obviously not every hospital has a department. So I felt quite tied to Sheffield, but I got slightly frustrated that there weren't more advanced jobs coming up um, within the department. So um, I was approached by Sheffield Ham University to do some um, visiting lecturing and that kind of kicked off really my love for academia and I didn't think I would be loving academia as much as I do, largely because I was hugely passionate about being a therapeutic radiographer and working with patients. Um, but obviously, once I'd started to kind of look at my role and the impact that I could have on patients, but through my students, I think that's what re really reignited my desire to want to kind of focus on academia and go into that full time. So I still have that role and I've kind of, I've been at university now. Do you know what? I don't even want to work it out because it's probably scary and will make me feel really <laughs> old. Um, but um, yeah, I've worked, I've worked there for a while now and um, I've held probably every role that you can in academia. So I've been radiation protection <laughs> supervisor. I've been clinical lead. I've been timetabling lead. I've been recruitment lead. Um, and actually, it was the recruitment lead role that really did ignite my passion for making sure that people knew more about the role of a therapeutic radiographer. And again, you know, going into schools and colleges, working with Health Education England, working with the Society College of Radiographers on lots of recruitment activity. I kind of felt compelled to want to allow people to not go through what I went through. I wanted those you know, people at age 16, when they're looking at the GCSEs and A-levels to go, oh, yeah, I've heard about this profession. And yeah, it sounds really exciting. I might work towards that. 
rather than going through what I had to go through. Um, so I that's kind of where my passion ignited for that. And ultimately, I do think that kind of led me on to applying for the job of the National Clinical Fellow. So um, it was a role that was devised by Health Education England and the Society College of Radiographers. And Macmillan were well situated to take on a fellowship role. And um, I still to this day can't believe I got it. Like sometimes <laughs> I pinch myself going, I can't believe I've just told someone I'm that National Macmillan Clinical Fellow. Um but I have absolutely loved it. So I started it at the end of September due to COVID. I had my interview in February, so I had to keep it a secret for so long. It was wow. devastating because I have quite a big mouth. Um, so I, I was very good and didn't tell people for a long period of time, probably maybe Kerry secretly. Um, but, um, but I was so excited, largely because a large proportion of that role is to promote the role of the therapeutic radiographer but it is also to look at our scope of practice and I think that's where Kerry and I always feel like we're a bit of you know the diagnostic and therapeutic soul sisters because we are really passionate about what skills we have and how we can utilize them and therapeutic radiographers are renowned for not necessarily stepping outside of the basement so you know if we're talking stereotypically we are usually in the basement of a hospital that's very lead lined um, and we only occasionally come up um, for our lunch breaks. But actually it is so important that we do integrate across the oncology pathway. We teach so much as part of that pre-registration program um, that actually we don't utilize in our day-to-day practice as a band five. Um, so it's looking at how we can actually develop our skills and what education is required or how we can change um, practice. And again, that is part of my role for Macmillan is to look in at the scope of practice, how we can utilise um, the skills that we have and, and what's warranted within service. I think um, some of the clinical medics that I've spoken to have been like, well, you can't obviously make everyone advanced practitioners and you can't get them to go outside of the radiotherapy department because who is going to treat all these cancer patients and absolutely that is not what we're looking to do um but what we are looking to do is utilize the skills that we have to have better patient outcomes and i think that's what's really important is that actually the amount of times that people are left waiting because they have to have a doctor mm-hmm. come and come and attend to them rather than someone who's actually got the skills and knowledge but haven't got a certain qualification um and that can sometimes be frustrating so again that's kind of part of my role and to be honest I could go on probably for a week talking about all the other things that Macmillan are getting me involved in because uh I'm a yes person I keep saying yes (laughs) and I'm working at home at the minute with my husband and he's downstairs going I've just heard you say yes to another project will you please shut up um so yeah I I I have lots of other things that I'm part of at the minute that I need to stop saying yes to but um what can I say I love my job oh that's amazing even us just being like so do you want to do a podcast (laughs) like yes Yeah, I think some of the stuff you were just saying about um, about the frustration of patients having to be sort of waiting around and waiting for a doctor to come in and that sort of thing, that leads quite nicely probably into things that you might have to say about about um, how the world of radiography or how you personally have been affected by the pandemic that's been going on this year. Um, you know, it's, there have been things in the news about lots of patients, um, particularly cancer patients, maybe being having their treatment delayed. So it'd be great to, to hear first from you and then from Kerry, um, just how your how your roles and, and areas have been affected by the pandemic. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, quite a lot, to be honest, but nowhere near as much as maybe other parts of the health service. So I think radiotherapy has been able to continue quite seamlessly. We've adapted so well to the pandemic and being able to continue with patients treatments unfortunately what has suffered probably more so has been the referral pathways Mm -hmm. so from diagnosis all the way through so you know surgeries cancelled and primarily a lot of cancer patients would have surgery prior to radiotherapy and we have noticed different 
types of patients having treatment. So whereby they might have had surgery previously, the consultant has noticed that obviously they can't do that surgery due to COVID and so has um, then referred on to radiotherapy. So we have seen patients that we haven't necessarily treated primarily with radiotherapy before. And I think there's so much rich research and data now to be had as a result of maybe changing practices. So one of the big things that occurred during COVID is a lot of breast cancer patients would typically have 15 fractions of radiotherapy. And actually that's been now reduced to five fractions, which is a huge consequence. You know, if you're coming Mm -hmm. to the radiotherapy department every single day for treatment, you know, there is a big difference between 15 days versus five. And it's also a huge difference in terms of workload. And so the radiotherapy departments have been up and down and I have to say I work um, as a an ambassador for action radiotherapy and we have a, a huge whatsapp group which is amazing to keep in contact with lots of other therapeutic radiographers across the country and we do chat about kind of activity across the country and it's so varied you know even now today you've got some departments that are kind of quiet for them and you've got other departments that are running from 7 30 till nine o'clock at night so you know, there is a huge disparity in what's happening across the country. And obviously, some of that has to do with diagnostics. And that's where I will seamlessly pass over to (laughs) I guess my story is a little bit to Joe's and the fact that with diagnostics, it was all hands on deck. Um, We have a shortage of diagnostic radiographers anyway. Um, I actually returned to the front line during, I moved out of my academia role and I went to the front line. I actually worked for four weeks at the London Nightingale um which was uh just an amazing experience um and i worked with it was lovely to go back to my roots because i had obviously been out for about three three four years um so that was fantastic and it was you know quite shocking at times i live in the southwest england and our rates are fairly low and i live in a little hamlet in the middle of the forest and covid hasn't really touched here to be honest there hasn't been apart from lockdown we haven't really noticed anything so obviously to live in london for four weeks and to see it you know full on um, was quite shocking but um nothing I hadn't I wasn't prepared for nothing handle again what struck me was working part of the team um radio officers look out for each other in fact the whole of the the team looked out for each other and you know there was an amazing team at the London Nightingale and what was fantastic was seeing AHPs were central to that um we had a great AHP leader Rachel Moses who uh, was leading the team up there and it was fantastic. You know, we had around every bedside, there was a speech and language therapist, there was a dietitian, there was a physio, there was a radiographer. It was an occupational therapist. It was amazing to see the AHPs really stepping up. And actually, instead of having the doctors and nurses and then the AHPs on the periphery, the AHPs were right in there, right in the decision-making processes. Um, you know, we were all sharing jobs, which was, it was fantastic. So uh, that was for me, it was great to actually go and do something, do what I've been trained to do at the end of the day um, and make myself useful. So and then I went back to academia um, and uh, obviously then I had my six comments. So that's what I've been doing now. And in the Southwest, what we've been trying to do now is obviously trying to look at recovering all our CT and MRI services at the moment, because obviously we've got huge delay in scans nationally, not attending doctors or having their scans delayed. And so obviously we're just trying to do efforts to, um, and make sure the numbers go down a little bit is it worth me noting maybe what it's like yeah. from a lecturer's perspective because that's been yeah huge definitely hugely, hugely different yeah so essentially i think covid had a big impact on the recruitment cycle of hei's going into health and social care courses so a lot of universities actually over recruited um and that's that's brilliant from a workforce perspective we need those people but actually from a placement capacity and even timetabling any academics will say that timetabling is uh, quite quite difficult when you go into university um but i have to say the biggest thing that we've obviously experienced is the students having either less time on clinical placement um you know working in placement as an additional member of staff um, and the whole registration um and you know i'm the bsc course leader for the year one students and i have to say you know starting university and 
starting a course mm. whereby you don't get to meet your peers apart from on a screen I think you know I can't even imagine what they're experiencing from our perspective as lecturers it's stressful and I do remember that first week of switching to DL and we do a lot of distance learning delivery at Sheffield Town and especially within the radiotherapy course you know all of our MSc is distance learning and has been for like 15 years or so so we're used to that delivery but there was something about knowing that these first years would ordinarily be in a classroom socializing with each other getting to know each other and yet they're thrown into a zoom room um and they have Mm. coped remarkably like I'm so proud of my students and I'm sure every lecturer would go so far as to say the same that actually their motivation and resilience has really shone through and I think you know it will be a testament to what them when they go into clinical and I'm sure they're so excited they just want to get out of their homes um to go and see what actually therapeutic radiography is actually like and rather than watching it through YouTube but um you know it is it is so difficult and I think anyone who has started a health and social care course during COVID you know hats off to you because it has taken a lot of self-motivation to carry on um and so from that perspective I think there's been a massive impact of COVID on on the workforce from that first year I'm just hoping that obviously we get to see them pass assessments and that they do love the profession that they go into so you know delaying going into clinical practice could Mm. potentially have an impact on attrition Mm. and that's obviously something that Mm. we're all keen to look at and see whether or not that that's going to happen but um I really hope that it is what they expected and that we've been open and honest about what the profession is like um so that they're not kind of I think that's where you get that kind of hands-on experience and as you said it's all right looking at stuff in textbooks and being like told things but until you actually get into that environment you don't necessarily know yeah I think for me for placement capacity so as Joe will know I am a glass half full not glass half empty person and I'm really pleased that Covid has almost pushed placement capacity to its limit because it's making people think differently about placement and actually what does constitute a placement so I think we're going to see a lot of innovation around um, students spending uh, time with other professions with leadership teams with digital teams um, you know inside um, residential homes inside you know uh, spending more time with children so looking at some of the key skills and actually I think that's going to give all healthcare students a more holistic outlook and actually be able to see where they fit into the big picture because sometimes you like mm. said, you go in and you've, you've spent all these months studying and reading textbooks and hearing about what's going to happen placement at all levels and you become so entrenched in what you're doing and it is a really busy environment the NHS you literally you, you know you're all working so hard as a student you're like a sponge you know trying to take everything up into your brain but also you're physically working at such a speed now and sometimes we just forget to look outside and actually at the end of the day the students are going to be the future generations who will be leading our organizations who will be making the changes so actually by giving them some space and they're a student for them to identify sit in the pain of everything and how everything fits together it means that actually there may be some spark in someone's brain that goes why don't they do it this way and actually, yeah. one day they might be in that position to make that change to say, I've always thought this. Let's what about doing this? So they are the leaders of the future. And I really think actually we need to be investing in that by looking at different types of placements and so not just their sole profession. Absolutely. They build up in their sole profession, but actually about where they fit into the big picture. So I think COVID mm-hmm. has been a positive for that. It's making people think differently. Again, about teach, it does mean that there are more people that can probably access it who may have not to go to near a university or not be able to actually physically get in lectures but could quite happily sit at home and do those lectures for whatever reason reason or couldn't you know so I'm hoping that we've just got to see what are the positives from COVID and make sure that we we highlight those and wouldn't it be great if we get more placements through the hospital to yeah. share what it is that we actually know and do and hopefully help educate mm-hmm. other AHPs around our roles and what our capabilities yeah. are and that goes for all AHPs and if you think about it so say a physio came down and spent a couple of days in a radiotherapy department 
It might be not what they're doing. They're really interested in radiotherapy. But what's to say they haven't got a cousin or they don't have a child and they remember what they saw and what they, you know, saw the therapeutic radio doctors doing and actually recommended it to someone else. They may come into contact with some a school leaver who says, I don't know what to do, but this is what I like. And they say, actually, have you thought about this? If we don't know about each other's professions, we're never going to be able to promote them. That's so true. And even being able to... to utilize other professions within the hospital environment you know if you know what other people do and you understand it better then you're much more able to give advice and and to make on referrals and make sure that you are sending people in the right direction rather than saying well you know I'm pretty sure that's what what a speech and language therapist does so you know I'll refer you over there and then we'll see what happens I think you know having having um that knowledge and understanding of what patient-centered care can be so (laughs) valuable it's just integrated care, isn't it? It's for the benefit of the patient. And I think sometimes we we have this professional boundary that we're like, no, we have we have the patient for this amount of time and we do X, Y and Z. Where actually, I think if you look at a patient journey and what the patient experience is, it's so important that we do embrace these integrated working. And I've uh, I got diagnosed actually mm. with thyroid cancer in February. And being a patient, I was, you know, I was the worst patient ever. I was the nightmare one that goes into clinic going, I've got all these questions, but then <laughs> I, I would ask them, but actually it would go in one ear and out the other. And um, yeah. I was I was literally like, oh, seeing it from a patient perspective is so different. And just, you know, going for blood tests with different specialists. And you think, why, if you had coordinated it, you could have potentially made me go for one blood test, had two vials and checked for two things at the same time um, at the same hospital. And it's little things like that that I don't think people necessarily or they mm. realise, but they just can't change. And I think from an educational perspective, this is what Kerry and I are passionate about is how we can make it better for our patients and looking at the patient pathway and and what we can do to holistically treat the patients that we have in our care. And occupational tribalism, trying to break those boundaries and make it more seamless for that patient. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you, Joe, on that. I have one little burning question that derives from a personal experience of my dad. I'm, I'm so curious. So I had no idea until my dad had radiotherapy that you mark the patients with a small tattoo so that you know where to to point the <laughs> I mean I don't know what I'm talking about but basically <laughs> you <laughs> point the thing that you point the, the radiotherapy that's it do you get to control do you operate the tattoo gun is the question that I want to know Right, so the, we don't have a tattoo gun because right. no one would want me to do any artwork <laughs> on them whatsoever. Because if you saw the skills that I have at drawing, you would never <laughs> ask me to do a tattoo. So essentially, all we do is we would take a um, patient who's been referred for radiotherapy. They would initially go for a pre-treatment appointment. And at that pre-treatment appointment, they would essentially have a CT scan. And at that mm-hmm. CT scan, we collect the data Um, and basically the imagery that we need to then plan the radiotherapy. Now, because that patient has been CT'd in a specific position, we need to make sure that that patient can be replicated in that position Hmm. um, throughout their entire treatment so that it correlates with the radiotherapy treatment plan. So Mm -hmm. to do that, we have to do a tiny pinprick tattoo. And we do that literally. It's not not as exciting as a tattoo gun. (laughs) We, we literally put a tiny bit of tattoo ink on the skin where we've, we've marked from the CT laser marks. And we would essentially then put a tiny needle underneath the skin surface, allow the ink to pull in there, and then that leaves a tiny dot. Um, but um, I have to say that actually um, is a practice that we're hoping to eradicate because, okay. you know, some of the research out there looks at mm-hmm. the psychological impact yeah. for patients having a tattoo um, and, you know, it's a hot topic at the moment. And if you look at kind of Sheffield Hallam University's research and Dr. Heidi Prost is doing quite a lot of work at the moment and is a big advocate for 
kind of reducing the use of these tattoo marks um, and actually using a, a surface guided technique. So essentially we, we're relying on um, software and equipment to be able to determine that the patient is in the correct position on a daily basis. And we do treat within one, two, you know, a maximum of five millimeters worth That's of accuracy ridiculous. every single day. So we are so, yeah, we're so OCD. <laughs> As therapeutic radiographers, it's ridiculous, which is what I keep reminding my husband <laughs> and he won't fold his underpants. Um, <laughs> I will hate me saying that. Um, he doesn't even wear underpants, he wears boxes. So that'll be even more embarrassing for him. Um, <laughs> but um, essentially, uh, it is so important that our accuracy is on point, um, literally. Okay. So we, uh, we, we're trying to make sure that as we develop and advance our practice, that we're maintaining our accuracy, but also looking at the long-term impacts. Um, you know, survival rates of cancer are going up. And as a result of that, we want to make sure that the quality of life of our patients is the best that it possibly can be. And if that does mean that actually we need to look at ways in which we can deliver radiotherapy without mm. a tattoo, then that's what we'll do. Okay, shall we move on to the three fives so this is our recurring section um of our podcast where we get you to reflect a little bit into before you started and kind of things that you've learned about your profession that you that you enjoy and the first question and i'll pose this to kerry first so when you qualified initially where did you see yourself in five years time um so i think if i probably take it um when i knew radiography was for me um I just I fell in love with it completely and I knew it was going to be a career for life. So I always wanted to aim to being an expert. I wasn't just going to settle for being um, a radiographer would go in and do her job and nothing else. I always wanted to be an expert. Um, so, yeah, I'm a lifelong learner. I will always strive to do more for the patient at the end of the day. And it's all about the patient, not about what I can learn. It's about what can I do for the patient. So I always wanted to be five years. I was always then thinking five years ahead. So I've always kind of kept my road, whatever is best for patient, really. So an expert in something. I don't know what, but I'd like to be an expert in something. Or I would have liked to have been an expert in something. And how about you, Jo? Oh, see, this is why we're soul sisters. Because I'm not even joking. I wish I could just show you my paper of notes where I've literally put, <laughs> wouldn't it be great to be an expert in something? Um, but yeah, literally, literally exactly the same. I wanted to go down a career path that I knew that I would be able to make a positive impact to patients' lives. And, um, you know, I always knew that I was passionate about being a therapeutic radiographer. So I never had, at that point that I qualified, I never had ambitions to work outside of clinical. But at the forefront of my mind, it was all always, what can I do for the patient? What can I do for my colleagues um, to improve everyday life? But also, obviously cancer survival rates and make sure that I'm making a positive impact mm -hmm. I wanted to be a good person today. and how about the same again next question would be it, you, it might not even be that you wanted to change roles or you probably don't want to change roles but if you had to then not be in your current role and you had to choose another area to work in what would it be would you switch would you be so Kerry would you be a therapeutic radio no no no, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <Joan, no. laughs> that would be amazing. Harry, you could work with me. Now we know each other. Um, I would. Oh, I'd say, Rom, you're going to hate me. I'd be a medic. I'd be a doctor, and I'd be a trauma doctor on an air ambulance somewhere. That's because your A and E experience. It is. I love it. Through I love a bit of blood. I love oh, a bit of gore. Oh, I love it. I love being reactive. It's just the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> in a hospital anyway it would still be patients um but in again it would be in trauma emergency care that sort of thing what about you joe um i just want to be able to make a positive difference so wherever my career pathway takes me i think that's what is it at the end of the road so essentially i don't have i am career driven and i am ambitious um and ultimately I think that's where I look for roles but um at the end of the day it's just about the patients and enjoying my job and I love it everything that I've done today I've absolutely been passionate about so I think um just carrying on 
doing that really in whatever landscape that may may be and the next of the fives is five things that you didn't know about your profession before you started studying so joe if we start (laughs) with three things from you and then we'll go to you carrie um so i think that day that i found out what a therapeutic radiographer was um i definitely did not know that Mm. pediatric patients got cancer Um, I didn't know that as a therapeutic radiographer, you would see a lot of people naked. Um, I also (laughs) didn't realise that we did tattoos. So to be fair, I could go on. There was so much that I didn't know about therapeutic radiography. Um, But yeah. And do you carry? Well, obviously, as you know, my prep for my interviews. Um, So I knew nothing about radiography. I didn't even know what it was properly. Um, literally and like I said it wasn't really until I turned up and studied that I knew what radiography was so I didn't know anything <laughs> literally I didn't even know there were two strands nothing <laughs> I could have turned up to therapy and I wouldn't have been any the wiser <laughs> not the way to go into a profession <laughs> but look how it turned out for you and Kerry if you I was going to say, Kerry, can you imagine walking into a different classroom, say, I don't know, occupational therapy, and you'd have been in there for a week and not realised. Goodness, how lucky was I? Can you imagine? Because I don't think I'd be a very occupational therapist. I can't imagine getting anything. No, the only player of the place I'd have liked. No, I don't think you would either. Really? I don't think I'd have suited anything else. And how about, um, Kerry, you're going to say three things, but three things that you enjoy about your job. And then two things from Joe. Okay. Uh, the unpredictability of what's coming through the doors. I think that's really exciting. Um, so it's really spontaneous. Um, every patient is different. So every patient will come in through those doors with a different story and why they've actually ended up there with you. So I like meeting lots of different people that I wouldn't usually have contact with. And hearing body is so interesting. And so are their injuries mm. and illnesses. That's really interesting. And a team player I am a team player through and through um I was never born to work by myself I love being part of a team um so yeah working as a team unpredictability and um a variety of patients I love all of them and you do so mine would be making a difference to people's lives and that would be patients through my students so making sure that my students have an amazing um university experience that they are passionate about what they do that they call themselves therapeutic radiographers because that's one of my pet hates. There's lots of professional titles that different people use for therapeutic radiography. Um, you know, when we when I first qualified, I was referred to as radiotherapy um, and a radiotherapist or a therapy radiographer. But obviously with the HCPC, um, we are classed and registered as a therapeutic radiographer. So that's my big mission in life is to make sure that every therapeutic radiographer uses that as their title. Um, I also think as well, it is about recruiting the right person and promoting the profession. So um, I know that I have had some amazing clinical experiences that have really shaped me as a person, but that do impact on on my ability to go into a school and college and talk about the role that we have. I know I once had a patient who was a similar age to me. She was quite young and she had a, a poor prognosis. And as part of my role as a therapeutic radiographer, I um, was delivering what we call femcare. So we were talking about kind of... Um, things that she could do to help maintain her quality of life while she received radiotherapy to the pelvic area and as part of her treatment I know that she had two young children and she would bring them to radiotherapy treatment with her and as she was going through her treatment um, we built a really good rapport together and she said Joe, I really need a help with something and obviously I thought it was very medical orientated went in thinking oh my gosh has she printed something off the internet what is she going to ask um and actually she said she goes I can't ask my family they're just too emotional about it but I need to write letters to my children and you know I know I'm not going to be around to see their you know monumental birthdays I want them to be able to have some reminders of their mum and it was heartbreaking you know there's there's a stereotype that working with cancer patients is depressing and I promise you it it so isn't 
But on this occasion, it was upsetting and it was something that really stuck with me. And I did, you know, I spent a long time writing those letters with her. But it is definitely something that makes me think that, you know, when I go into school and college now, they're at the age group where her children are opening those letters from their mum that I helped to write. And I think from that perspective, I'm really passionate about making sure that as therapeutic radiographers, they know that they Mm. have the power to make that much of a difference. And, you know, it could have been another radiographer that that may not necessarily have realized that they have the capabilities or the time or 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 the resource to be able to kind of support patients in that way. And I think that's what I'm most passionate about is making sure that our patients feel fully supported through their whole oncology pathway um, and not just we're going to get you into the radiotherapy treatment room and deliver radiotherapy. (laughs) Sorry, that was a really long way about going through my three. So I apologize. I think that's really true. And it's something that's definitely come up by talking to a few people just the amazing way in which we as AHPs get to know our patients so intimately and so quickly um, and we're we're let into their lives in such an open way and we you know they they um, tend to develop such a trust in us and I think that that is such an honor to to have that as a professional I think it's it's such a privilege absolutely So our final question, um, and I think you'll both have some fun things to say, um, is what would you tell students who are thinking about becoming either a therapeutic or a diagnostic radiographer? Kerry, no, do you want to no, go first? Because then the best is safe you. till last. Age, age before <laughs> beauty. Age before beauty. <laughs> okay, what would I tell students? Um do your research um essentially you want to make sure you're making the right decision attrition in some of the allied health profession courses is high and so the worst thing that you can do is start a course that maybe you're not cut out for um it can delay your start at university it can put you off going to university if you make those wrong decisions so i think it is really important that you access all the support you know health education england have poured money into you know the recruitment resources available um there's fellows now who are dedicated to creating opportunities around careers events and i think it's um it needs to be utilised as much as possible. And um, what I would also say is outside of COVID, try and get some work experience. And again, that's not just in healthcare. So, you know, for students applying to, I don't know, a paramedic course or um, a nursing course, actually working in a bar is is just as as um, acceptable because actually you get to see a diverse range of the community you get to have those moral and ethical dilemmas do you serve that person another drink even though they're intoxicated you know there's loads of experience you can get just from working you know it's great for me as an admissions lead is looking at someone who potentially has had a job maybe a fast food restaurant or or, or in catering because I know that they'd have had to have worked really hard They'd have had to have good time management. Um, So having a job and getting some experience is absolutely key. And also look at it from a patient perspective. So, you know, if you're thinking about working, um, say, as a therapeutic radiographer, look at um, maybe talking to patients who've had cancer or been through that pathway. Um, Look at some of the charity support to see what patients are saying. Um, There's loads of resources out there, so you can definitely get lots of information. And actually, I lead on quite nicely from that in the terms of when you have chosen to be a diagnostic, when you have chosen to be a radiographer, um, make your career your own. Um, There is so much choice and so much variety. I am so jealous. I would love to go back 30 years and start my career again Um, because of the opportunity that is available now um, in terms of moving into advanced practice, in terms of having a bigger impact on patient lives because of what you're allowed to do now. We don't have this doctor nurse kind of barrier in terms of advanced practice. You know, we're we're really, really some amazing things coming out of that. So make your career your own, immerse yourself into it and always tell radiographers who are starting out on their career, be the radiographer you would want your family to be imaged by or to come into contact with always. Um, And that's it really. Yeah, and don't be afraid of speaking up 
you know, find out things. Network is amazing. Find, you know, speak to other people. If you're working in a team, get to know your team. You know, don't work as a silo. Don't help each other. You're all trying to do the same thing. And that is all about patient care. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Just make your career your own. Oh, Kerry, you didn't say me, your soul sister of a therapist. I probably will just briefly just on how Joe and I met. We uh, speaking at a conference in Canada on advanced practice uh, two years ago, Joe, was it? And literally three. Oh, my goodness me. Yeah. And your eyes meet over the conference platform. That was, that was actually, no, it wasn't. It was a wine bar the night before, <laughs> Joe, if I remember rightly. <laughs> And we just had the best week ever with our two other <laughs> friends, James and Kirsty. Um, and yeah, we it was absolutely brilliant. And it was really great because we are very similar. We have some very big differences, um, not differences of opinion, but just differences in terms of obviously with our careers. But, um, we, you know, it's all about patient care. Whenever you speak to us, no matter what we're doing, it's always patient care at the centre of it. And I think that is the way for radiography and all the other AHPs as well. You don't need to mention anything. Oh, and then you got you guys finally got to do a podcast together as well. So that's even better. <laughs> I know. I can hardly get a word in edgeways. Absolutely. <laughs> Best <laughs> hour of my week. On and on and on. <laughs> Sorry, I can't hear you, Kerry. What? Yeah, I think you might have broken up there. Oh, well, thank you so much, guys. Um, that brings us to the end, but it's been an absolute pleasure interviewing both of you guys and learning so much about both therapeutic and diagnostic radiography. Um, we hope everyone or anyone listening to this has um, a better insight into the professions, both professions, and has even more of a look into it. Um, but thank you so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. You guys have been so fun to interview. Um, and yeah, well, hopefully... Keep in touch. Thank you. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about therapeutic and diagnostic radiography or a little bit more about Joe and Kerry themselves, we've attached their social media and some useful links in the episode description. We've got some great guests coming up in the next few months. Um, We hope you enjoy listening and we'll speak to you soon.